Welcome to episode two of season two of the Savage Pads podcast. I'm your host, Doug Battle. And man, I used to grow up listening to Rick Burgess from the Rick and Bubba show talk about college football every morning in the car on my way to school. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to host Rick on my podcast to discuss his conversations with the president, Kirby Smart, and Nick Saban, as well as the hype train that Auburn football has become after one week of football. And of course, there will be a Dickie Nadmeyer bit. Those of you Rick and Bubba listeners know what I'm talking about. The rest of you are in for a treat. After Rick's segment, Corey Amick will return from his epic roast of Felipe Franks to absolutely burn Tennessee football to the ground with his unique brand of sarcasm. And this is a Georgia football podcast, so Caleb Gwynn will break down the good, the bad, and the ugly that we witnessed in Nashville before looking ahead to a big week two in college football. This is the Savage Pats podcast. Stick around. practice every day man oh man mono ain't mono he, he definitely six hour reminds me and myself as close as we uh, have right now to rope on when we score i honestly did not know where i was for about five seconds early on you could see with jake you know, just like with fran talking to maybe one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks in the country and we got to keep feeding the running back I, I don't think we've yet to see the tight ends i think georgia does a great job bringing pressure on third down turn around two weeks later in the sec championship we look like a completely different team and we made them look like a completely different team i mean it's hard to get emotional thinking about it and it was my job to kind of get outside the corner and uh as soon as i let it go i knew it was good from that point on i kind of began the trust of eric murray as my quarterback the team was just special i was famous he was on side everybody respects specs. that's what every georgia fan should hinge their hopes on alabama and georgia the best two teams in the country I feel like we are the true running back you. I have great confidence that we're going to see the personification of Georgia football. Welcome to the Savage Pads podcast. We've got Rick Burgess from the Rick and Bubba show with us. Now, apart from co-hosting the nationally syndicated radio show, for those of you that aren't familiar with Rick, Rick has appeared numerous times on Fox News. He's co-authored several New York Times bestsellers, and he's charted two comedy CDs on Billboard's comedy chart, and he actually interviewed the current president of the United States at the White House. Rick, we are pumped to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, how odd was that? I mean, uh, that the president ended up being on the Rick and Bubba show and then inviting us to the White House. That uh, that couldn't have been one of his greater moments. But he did it, and we and we have it documented. And I even got a liner from the president, so we even are able to play the president saying, you're listening to the Rick and Bubba show, and I'm the leader of the free world. <laughs> Oh my goodness! How did that? How did that come to be? By the way, uh, you know, we, we this course was before the book. Uh, uh, you know, a team of vipers. Uh, but uh, the he, one of his assistants uh, is actually from Birmingham and had created a uh, uh, a media uh, outlet called Yellowhammer News. Okay. And uh, and then when he became part of the Trump administration, uh, he obviously was familiar with with the show. And uh, had the president call the show and actually be interviewed. And then when he was putting his tax plan through, they invited uh, a few media outlets to come to the White House to interview the entire administration, including the president again. Uh, and uh, we were invited. 
Wow. Well, it's my understanding that you also had the opportunity to do a sit-down interview with another highly successful individual who will likely receive a few presidential votes in this next election. And of course, I'm talking about Kirby Smart. You've spoken with quite a few SEC head coaches on the Rick and Bubba show. And I'm curious, based on your brief interaction with Kirby, what stood out to you about Kirby that you believe sets him apart from maybe some of his competition in the SEC East? You know, I, I think first of all, you know, he he came from, you know, this is one of those things I think we find out a lot in football. Mm-hmm. Number one, just because you're a coordinator does not equal a great head coach. Uh, we've seen that that that's not an indicator that you're going to be a great head coach. And I don't think it's an indicator uh, if you were once on the coaching staff with Nick Saban mm-hmm. that that's going to make you a great head football coach. I, I think you have to have more than either one of those things. And I think Kirby Smart has shown that he does have it. I understand that with Georgia fans, you you feel like, you know, we've, we've had the players for a long time, even through Mark Rick, and we just can't quite seem to take that next step. But um, I think the beautiful thing is that Kirby Smart, uh, especially in the last two meetings, uh, it feels like that Georgia is right there with Clemson and right there with Alabama, I think we can say with little reservation, those are the three premier programs in, in the college football right now at Division One, And uh, I think that he uh, has a great rapport uh, with the players. I think he's a fantastic recruiter. I think he's the kind of guy you want to play for. Uh, he seems to, you know, have that nice mix between, uh, you know, being someone that you don't want to be on the wrong side of, but at the same time being someone who's a great encourager. And a lot of times coaches either are too far one way or the other. And he seems to have found that balance. You know, he's mm-hmm. his own man. I don't think he's trying to, to be anybody else. Uh, but he is trying to build a long-lasting program. And that's much different than the coaches that maybe can have success here or there. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Kirby being his own man. A lot of people have often looked at him as a guy who is is a Coach Saban wannabe and there's often comparisons um, drawing people to the similarities between Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. I'm curious to ask you, as someone who has spoken with both of them, what differences do you see in the demeanor and the approach of these two elite head coaches? Well, first of all, uh, Kirby Smart is is more of a pleasure to be around outside of football. Okay. Uh, Nick, Sa- Nick Saban is, is not a pleasant individual to be around. <laughs> That's uh, surprising. Now, I, yeah, well, he, I mean, now we, we cut up the last time he was on because I almost demanded it. But yeah. but I think – and what I mean by that, I, I didn't force him to do anything he didn't want to do. But but I just decided with, with him this last time I wasn't even going to talk about football much at all. I started asking him what he does, if he has a day to himself, and, you know, start cutting up with him about that. And that seemed to lighten him up a little bit because I think, like, he uh, Saban reminds me a lot of my dad who, you know, I, I was raised by a football coach. and. Mm-hmm. And they almost seem annoyed if if you want to talk of foot, uh, to football about football with them because usually you say something that they think is stupid. Yeah. Uh, so so if you'll just talk to them about life and cut up a little bit and find out who they are as a human being, it seems to kind of open them up a little bit. And I find Kirby to be more willing uh, to uh, to be approachable, uh, to be more willing to uh, um, to probably maybe enjoy uh life outside of football which you know not not to the point of distraction but to kind of have it 
and he's not as obsessed with it uh, as maybe Saban. Mm-hmm. And some people may think that's a negative if you're a football fan, but I think it can can be a positive because I don't think that Kirby Smart desires to be a Nick Saban. I think he has great respect, and everyone should. You know, Nick Saban. I mean, I guess you could argue against it. I don't know how is the finest college football coach of his era. Hmm. And in my opinion, he's been successful with much more difficulty than even Bear Bryant. And I have great respect for Bear Bryant. But Bear Bryant play, uh, coached when the SEC was not very good. Uh, he coached when there were unlimited scholarships. And not many teams in the country had players. And now everybody's got players. Uh, and the fact that Saban has been as successful and always has a team this in the hunt is uh, remarkable, uh, and I think the, 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 you know, there's a lot to be said for that. And I think that Kirby Smart has enough of Nick Saban that Georgia could experience that too, uh, but he also is his own person. I, I definitely, talking to them, I don't get a sense from Kirby Smart that he wants to, to identify himself with any, anybody else other than you know, the way he sees um, how things should be done. He, he has great respect for Nick Saban. Uh, but he certainly uh, is his own man. Mm-hmm. And I want to take a quick break from from Alabama and Georgia and talk a little bit about Auburn because that's a team you're closely familiar with, with your son Blake playing on, I believe it was their most recent national championship team. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. He, he, uh, my father played for Auburn uh, in the uh, late 50s, early 60s. Okay. And then my, and then my oldest son played for Auburn. Uh, 2009, 10, 11, and 12. Okay. Well, last week we saw Auburn beat Oregon again in a down-to-the-wire game that was reminiscent of that national championship game. And as we both know, um, folks here in Birmingham are, are starting to say it's bow time. The the hype is starting to build here, as it often does with Auburn, with just a little bit of success. And as a Georgia fan, for me, you know, I I'm pulling against it. But what do you see from Bo, or what did you see from Bo Nix in that game? And how do you expect him to perform against more elite defenses like LSU, Georgia, and Alabama? Well, I I, I think obviously I have great respect for the Nix family. Mm-hmm. Um, I know his I know his father. Uh, pretty well. As a matter of fact, the first coaching job that his father got was from my my father. He coached with my father okay. the very fir- the very first time he coached. He was at Jacksonville State. My dad hired him for his staff there. So I know them very well. I can say with zero reservation that Bo Nix is a quality young man. Yes. And 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 I do not think that he struggles with pressure at all uh, because I just think that he's he's made from. A, uh, he, he's from a different, you know, cloth. Meaning his dad, you know, preparation is. His dad said this, which is right. Preparation kind of takes away pressure, uh, and I think he's the kind of young man that understands the game. Uh, I think he knows it very well. I don't think he lacks any confidence. But you can't take away the fact that he came from high school to the SEC, and I think that the hype around him right now is is not a positive uh, and i'm not saying that he's going to have a problem i just think the fans are putting um, uh, a ridiculous amount of pressure mm-hmm. uh, on him and this team this is a complete overreaction uh, from auburn fans he did not play a great game he will tell you that he made a lot of freshman mistakes um and uh, but uh the the him his run for the first down uh, the uh, the completion that he made that everybody felt like put Auburn in field goal range easily, 
and then throw. He did notice that the defensive back had his back to him. Some people think he just threw it up. Now, that that's not true. Uh, he saw the defensive back had turned his back to him, and he thought the the you know the, the receiver uh, Williams was the kind of athlete that could go get it if he could get it up with the defensive back. You know, turned turned his back toward him. So he, all of that was very skilled. But but I you know Auburn has never they've they've always struggled with with handling success mm-hmm. uh, and hype. I don't know why. I, I've never understood how programs can have personalities. This has baffled me about college football my entire life. How can you switch players and coaches, but yet programs' personalities seem to always be the same? I don't even know how to describe that. How is that even possible? But uh, but it seems to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, how can a team have have a different coach and different players? Is it the uniform? Do, do certain uniforms just carry a personality with it? I don't know. But isn't that odd? That it, throughout it's so time, odd. I don't even know how we – it can't even be true, but I mean, it seems to be true. When um, when Coach Rick left Georgia in, in that – I guess it was the first year afterwards we lost to Tennessee on a, on a Hail Mary play, and that was the kind of play that felt like a staple of of the Rick teams just being almost and, and not quite getting it done and getting their heart broken. And feels like for Georgia it's been that way. You really even see that in, in basketball. I mean, if you look at Alabama, they've – Change coaches. They've brought in coaches that have had much more success at smaller programs like VCU, um, and even in the NBA. And then they get get to Alabama, and it's it's the same team. But it does seem like there's something about a college sports program where it just can't get past itself and whatever its identity is. And Auburn does seem to be that team that can hype itself up and and have all these expectations, and it does tend to to fall flat. Oh, yeah. the the key to, for, to being an Auburn fan is to have zero expectations, <laughs> right? And uh, and 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 they and they and they don't. And and so I'm, what I'm afraid is you, Bo Nix should not be declared anything yet, mm-hmm. uh, other than other than the fact that Auburn came back and won uh, a good game in the best matchup we've had in preseason so far. Not preseason, but early season. One of right. preseason. Right. But uh, but but so Auburn's that's great. That that was a good win, and you have a quarterback that I think has the ability, if he can stay healthy, uh, to 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 do fantastic. Now, if you're an Auburn fan, here's where your concern can be: you brought back five offensive linemen, but you got to remember if if these five offensive linemen were not very good last year. You just brought back a not a very good offensive line again. Now, can they improve? Of course they can. Did they look like they had improved a lot? Not in my opinion. I mean, you saw – now, sometimes Nix was leaving. That's another problem. Nix was leaving the pocket too quick because he could do that in high school. He could As soon as they put pressure on him, he'd run and beat high school teams with his legs. Uh, but as you as you noted, this is, you know, this is a different level of athlete that you're playing against on defense. Can he handle it? Yes. Is he a superstar? No. Uh, can he be? Yes. Uh, but if, is Auburn going to go out and be able to uh, grow through this extremely difficult schedule they have? That's that's quite a task. And I think that the offensive line has got to get better because uh, if you if you have a freshman quarterback, uh, no matter how talented he is, you've got to be able to give him some protection and give him some time uh, and I thought the offensive line against Oregon, I know Oregon's better on defense, 
showed some uh, some some problems. If Auburn doesn't get uh, the Whitlow kid rolling, I, 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 it's a different game. And if they don't pick up the fumble, even though they only uh, they didn't do with it what they should have, the fact that Oregon didn't score right there kept Auburn in the game. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know one fan that did not want to see Auburn get back in that game is Dickie Nadmeyer. Um, for those of our listeners who are not listeners of the Rick and Bubba show, Dickie Nadmeyer is a recurring guest. Um, it's also Rick's Alabama fan alter ego. Rick, tell us about Dickie. Roach, uh, Dickie <laughs> Nadmeyer it was a character, believe it or not, that I, I came up with uh, back when before back when some of us had uh, landlines and home phones. Okay. Uh, we would get telemarketers calling us all the time. And my wife hated it, so I created this character to see if I could frustrate the telemarketer as much as they were frustrating me. And one of the personalities that just seemed to come out were all these Alabama fans that I had grown up in our state. Uh, I, I just remember them visibly. Vi- I mean, I, I mean, just so clearly, visibly, uh, uh, you know, breaking me down as a child and uh, just traumatizing me as a child. And the things that I say through this character, I have heard Alabama's Alabama fans say for you know fifty five years. <laughs> uh, uh, and 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 the the problem is, in comedy, you're supposed to be able to exaggerate. I can't come up with anything for this no. this, this this character to say that hasn't really been said. Yeah. And uh, and you know, my, my all time favorite with Alabama fans is they always say that nobody expects them to win. Where did they come up with this? I mean, I, I, everybody expects them to win. Uh, hey, didn't nobody think we could do it? <laughs> hey, hey, didn't nobody expect us to be in the national championship? And I'm like, <laughs> everybody did. Everybody did. What do you mean nobody expected you to be there? Hey, I'm going to tell you, we don't get no respect. Hey, hey, ESPN, they don't want us to win. They don't give us no respect. We're, we don't get no coverage. I'm like, what? Well, I mean, what are they talking about? They they have this bizarre personality uh, of of you know they always think that Alabama is going to win the national championship because they usually are in it, but then they'll turn around and act like that nobody expected them to be there. Right, and like that's they, the part they I've never totally done. beat the odds. Underdog story. They're going to make a movie about this. Alabama, can I give you all a heads up? You're not an underdog story. I mean, you're not in a. Hey, well, the only time we lose is when Auburn cheats. <laughs> You remember when they had Scam Newton, don't you? <laughs> Bought and paid for. Rotate. Rotate. And, uh, yeah, so e- even if they lose, it was some kind of uh, – the officials are against them, uh, and, and I, I don't I, – I, I do not understand it. Hey, I, we got to take a look at Saban's contract. He lost last year. You know, I mean, it, it, if you it, – they're, they're sta- you know, they should be proud – their standard is very high. They do have a class program. Absolutely. They are the program that everybody wants to be. And until Clemson came along, it, it really was almost unfair, uh, it, the rest of college football uh, against them. And in all fairness, on some of their weak non-conference games, who, who's going to play you? Can you imagine getting a call unless you've got a big check saying, hey, we want to play you? Nobody wants to play Alabama if they don't have to. Yeah. Unless they're going to get unless they're going to get paid to do it. Yeah, another thing I think uh, is interesting is when – um, people are critical of Alabama's in-conference schedule, and they'll be like, well, all they have to play is Auburn and LSU, and they don't have to play anyone really that good. So, yeah, they don't have to play Alabama. I mean, they don't have to play themselves. Um, right. and, and Auburn and has like, to do I, that. I do wish I do wish they play Georgia more. I know you don't, but I wish they would. <laughs> well, we're hey, playing next year. I tell you why you don't want to play Georgia. 
because you know it's going to happen. Every time we come in there and break your little heart, road tag. Hey, it's that backup quarterback. I can't do the voice at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got written. We got in Oklahoma. You're welcome for little Jalen Hurts. Yeah, he was nothing until Saban got hold of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no talent at all in that kid. No. Yeah, well, um, Rick and Dickie, appreciate both of you coming Rick on the Jay. show. Yes. No, it's my, my pleasure, man. Uh, it's always fun to talk about football. Just remember, football's a great game, but it's a lousy God. Hmm. But enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Rotate. Rotate. All right. Now it is time for Savage Pad Savagery again with former Tennessee fan Corey Amick. Corey, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Glad to be back. Glad to have you back. Um, I hope you haven't come down from from your 15 minutes of fame from last week. <laughs> For those of you that didn't listen, Corey absolutely roasted Felipe Franks, and it was one of the more popular segments from the show. But Felipe wasn't wasn't available to be roasted this week. He had a bye week from roastings. So Tennessee, Corey's old team, is the subject of our roast, and everything went wrong on Saturday for the Vols. And I'm not even talking about the game yet. For for those of you that don't know, a 42-foot tailgate cruiser docked near Nayland Stadium caught fire and sank hours before the Vols season kicked off. Now, Corey, I got to know, what's your take on this tailgate tragedy that seemed to foreshadow what was to come for the Vols? So I think, if you don't know, the Vol Navy is definitely the, the wealthier kind of area around the stadium to tailgate in. Not, not anybody can just kind of go hang out down there. Um, right. So my my take is some rich donor's son, probably like an ag major or something at UT, was uh-huh. trying to make their dad happy by turning the boat into the color orange. Uh-huh. So he did what any good old country boy would do, and he, he lit it on fire. Um, and so I think that was just his, his idea of turning that thing orange for, for game day. And I don't know if it quite worked out for him. Um, I actually, I actually really think that it was probably a fan's attempt at trying, trying to show Jarrett, uh, Garantano where the end zone is. So kind of like how in the army they use smoke to signal like a landing zone. I think it was the only way to, to show him over the, those top 45 or so rows of empty seats, um, where, where the end zone is. So, Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. Maybe they pulled a Panama, like in Sahara or Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> pulled a Panama. I don't know if you've seen that movie, Corey, but uh, I've seen it. Yeah. Also possible that they were just paying homage to the sinking ship that is Tennessee football by sinking an actual ship. But that was yes, before that definitely. was before the game, and and they had Georgia State coming off a two and ten season in the Sun Belt Conference coming in. So big game. Fans were hyped. 85,000 fans showed up and checkered the stadium, and that is 85% of the 100,000 roughly seat stadium, for those of you who aren't good at math. Do you think Tennessee's fans checkered Nayland Stadium as a subtle nod to Jim Chaney's playing checkers while opposing coordinators play chess? So we all know chess is a gentleman's game. Mm. I think the crowd understands that Jim Chaney is no gentleman. Um, So I think most of the Tennessee fans – at the game, most likely just came straight from Cracker Barrel. So they were really just continuing their game of checkers from the restaurant. And they were probably hoping that Jim Chaney would just join in and play with them. Um, although 
as many of those rocking chairs that are out front. Um, I'm not sure any of them could quite contain the man that is Jim Chaney. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Jim Chaney, Jeremy Pruitt, after the game, said everyone needed to look in the mirror, and, and, and that's what he was going to do. But what do you think Coach Chaney will see when he looks in the mirror after that game? Probably not much, you know, unless he's standing about 15, 20 feet away from the mirror, you probably won't see that much. But really, I think I think Jim Chaney will see mirages of, of Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle um, reminding him that they were the only reason he had a, a job in, in Athens. Yeah, I actually think when he looks in the mirror, he's going to see the Syracuse orange mascot, but with like a human <laughs> head poking out the top. And what about Coach Pruitt? I mean, he's the one that made the statement, everyone needs to look in the mirror. That's what I'm going to do. What do you think Jeremy Pruitt's going to see when he looks in the mirror? I think he'll see a combination of Lex Luthor and Mr. Potato Head um, just in the face. And then I also feel like he definitely wears an extra large trash bag with like armholes cut out around the house to simulate the feel of his pullovers on the sideline. So I'll probably see, you know, one of those trash bags too in the mirror. Absolutely. Well, Jim Cheney's offense went 0-2 on fourth down against Georgia State on Saturday. If you were still a Tennessee fan, which you're not, but if you still were, would you feel that your team is lacking a power back, like, like say, Isaiah McKenzie, to hand it to on fourth down in pivotal situations? Oh, for sure. Uh, one thing I noticed during the game is that Tennessee was subbing all the time. Um, and you look at like a defense and you know, that makes sense, but they had offensive linemen subbing out during drives, like it was a scrimmage. So even if they did have a huge, you know, tough up the middle type of guy, like Isaiah McKenzie to pick up those fourth downs, mm-hmm. it's unlikely that any of the, the starters would have actually been in the game after, you know, first, second and third down. Um, so I don't think even with, you know, a big tough guy like that, that Cheney would have had any help just because probably half of his offensive line was on the bench for that fourth down. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's crucial to have your offensive line on the field. Um, one last question for you before a little game. A recent article from RockyTopInsider.com referred to BYU as a, quote, formidable opponent. And the same sentence had, in parentheses, 0-1 next to BYU. My question for you, Corey, is this. At this point, what defines a formidable opponent for this Tennessee Volunteers football team? So you look at the spread for this this week's game, and mm-hmm. I think Tennessee's actually a, a three-point favorite, which is you know truly something. Um, so just taking it off that spread, I would look back at the, the 2004 um, Air Bud. So... You look at Airbud, he's quick. He's got, you know, lightning fast moves. He's all about the ball. Right. Um, and that combo of him and Josh Fram from that 2014 was lethal. So I think Tennessee's back four struggled, you know, against Georgia State's, you know, speedier guys. Um, so I think you throw Airbud out there with, you know, just Josh Fram, and they were probably wrecking havoc on the balls. And I think that'd be a pretty uh, formidable opponent for, for Tennessee that week. I certainly would love to see that movie. Okay, now it's time for two truths and a lie. It's a very simple game. I'll make three statements. One of them is not true, and Corey has to guess which one it is. So we'll start off with an easy one. 352 is the number of. Here's the three options. 352 is the number of 
yards Georgia State had against Tennessee, points UGA scores versus Tennessee, or pounds that Jim Chaney weighs? Mm. I feel like that's just a little under on on Chaney's weight. Okay. So as confident as I am in the dogs, I'm going to have to go with with the lie. I think we score a little under 352 against Tennessee, so I'll go I'll go second one. Okay. So you're going with if if the line is for like a minus 352 Georgia, you're going under. Yeah, I'll go I'll go under on that one. Okay. Well, that's a risky move, but yes, that is the one non-factual statement there. <laughs> Although I could not confirm exactly Jim Chaney's weight. It's not on the internet. And I wasn't able to get him in the studio simply because he would not fit. Next question, the number three. So three is the yards per carry Jim Chaney's offense had versus Georgia State. Jeremy Pruitt's IQ or the number of turnovers Jim Chaney's offense had versus Georgia State. Mm. You know, I don't I don't remember the stat line, but I still feel like three's being generous for for yards per per carry for Tennessee, so I'm gonna go with you know I think the IQ thing's a little bit low, but I'm gonna go with number one. Okay, yards per carry. It's actually they did have three yards per carry against Georgia State, oh. and and they also had three turnovers. So the lie is Jeremy Pruitt's IQ. It's actually a little bit higher than the number three. Okay. Last one, Corey. Three statements. First one is Lane Kiffin, Derek Dooley, and Butch Jones each lost to a non-Power 5 team at Tennessee before being fired. The next one is Georgia State was paid $950,000 by Tennessee only to go in there and beat them. And the third one is Jeremy Pruitt once asked what asparagus was on national television as a grown adult human. Oh, man. Um yeah, I think the least surprising of the three is probably the asparagus one. You know, I don't. Mm-hmm. He hasn't come across as a guy that eats a lot of greens. Uh, yeah, that one's pretty obvious that he he would probably ask that. What is that? Asparagus. You don't like asparagus? I ain't never heard of it. Y'all Yeah, so you know, I look at the money that these big you know, Power Five schools are paying out now to smaller programs and. I think 950 sounds about right for for a program that you know had the money to basically hire Greg Schiano for a day and then actually not hire him anymore. Um, that just kind of seems like something that people with that type of money would do. So I feel like they definitely paid uh, a good you know 950 grand to get beat. Um, mm-hmm. So you know I'm gonna go with the Lane train, and I feel like maybe it was Lane that did next lose a game to a, a non Power Five. But tell me I'm wrong. No, you're you're actually right. Um, Jeremy Pruitt is is the first coach among those coaches to lose to a non-power five team. So, Lane Kiffin, Derek Dooley, and Butch Jones each never rose to this level of champion of life um, that that Jeremy Pruitt is at right now. Man, you know, I'm not really surprised. You look at you know guys like Lane that has such high morals, and Derek Dooley with mm-hmm. you know the orange pants, and Butch with you know, anger. You know, so there's yeah. just so much to offer from those three. I guess it's, you know, it's pretty easy to believe none of them ever lost a game like this. Yeah. Well, Corey, um, as always, we appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. Good day. Good dogs. All right. We've talked about the college football landscape as a whole, and we've roasted Tennessee a good bit, but now it is time to finally talk about the dogs and we're bringing Caleb Gwynn back on the show to do so. 
Caleb, first off, welcome back. Hey, good to be back, man. <laughs> good to have go you dogs. back. Yeah, good dogs, man. So this this segment's called the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Caleb, I want to start off by asking, what did you see that was good for Georgia on Saturday? Uh, what was good? Um, it was good to see a lot of the questionable players, questionable meaning just new players that we hadn't really got a, a big taste of or, right. or a good good sight of. Inexperienced. Um, I would say, right, exactly. Um, it was really good to see my defensive breakout player do really well, Aziz Ojolari. Um, he's got some serious rush. Like you can just tell that he's got one thing on his mind, and that's getting the quarterback. Um, so that was really good to see. Um, overall, it was just good to see all the new guys go to play. Yeah, a couple of players I was really pleased with, James Cook and our usage of him. I uh, wasn't quite sure how the offense would go out there, and I was – Pleased to see him in the slot early on. It felt like he was on the field a good bit, and I liked the way they used him, kind of like how we used DeAndre Swift when he was a freshman. Uh, it was great to see Zamir White out on the field. Trayvon Walker is a player who stood out to me. He had some big hits, and that dude is fast. They had him on special teams out there, like on the kickoff team, and I was like, who who's that big? I thought it was a linebacker, but he's a defensive lineman. Nolan Smith looked great. He had that one sack where he ran the quarterback down from behind. Love seeing Channing Tindall on the blitz. And, of course, Aziz looks like Justin Houston 2.0. That guy has some serious potential, and he is living up to my expectations so far. The bad. Caleb, what, what do you think Georgia can best improve upon going into the rest of the season? Um, it wasn't bad, but I would say that the undesirable look was just kind of the um, lack of aggression in the passing game. Mm. I think uh, Jake Fromm obviously is an amazing quarterback and he is a game manager. Um, but I think, I think there's an element to our game that we need to kind of step up and, and show off some of the, uh, the, the passing attack that we have that we're capable of at least. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing, uh, but would have liked to see um more out of the passing game there's a lot of encouraging things inside of the passing game but overall i would say the passing game yeah and we talked about this last week a little bit how a lot of times in these kind of games fans will be overly critical of how conservative georgia gets and this was certainly one of those games we came out the gate we were scoring it looked like we were going to score on every possession and like it was just going to be a, a big party in in nashville and then it, it got really frustrating. Uh, we had a hard time moving the ball. Jake Fromm had some bad balls, especially in the red zone. Um, we targeted Pickens, which I liked, but Fromm had a hard time getting it to him. He threw that one really high one that Tyler Simmons technically dropped, but he really put Tyler in a tough position to catch that. Uh, was pleased with the receivers as far as Demetrius Robertson showing us what he's made of after a long, long wait for him. Matt Landers caught the ball that came to him. Lawrence Cager was really good with the ball in his hands. I mean, those guys were out there playing well. It's tough to see um, Kiaris Jackson go down with a broken hand, but I know we have Dominique Blaylock ready to step in there, and obviously Demetrius Robertson's already holding it down, so that's that's why we recruit the way we do and, and why we have the kind of depth that we have. Caleb, was there anything on Saturday to you that came across as just ugly? Um. Well, you got, I got to say the penalties is the only thing I can really think of. I was going to mention Kyrus Jackson's injury because mm. because of the potential and um, the bright spots that we did see from him um, right. Saturday, like huge potential. 
not like crazy high recruited, but you can see that he's just a ball player and that he's going to contribute a lot. So it was kind of a bummer to see him go down. I would say, I mean, I, you can call that ugly if you want to, but really just the penalties. Um, we, a lot of things to clean up, which I think, you know, first game of the year. And I don't think we realized that Vandy is an SEC team and mm-hmm. they got a lot of talent and they're good. It's not like they're a, a slouch. So I think there's some things to work on, but I'm, very pleased with the win and how things went so yeah all right now it is time for our smash mouth all-star of the week Caleb did you see what I did there (laughs) I see what you did there I'm pretty proud of that um (laughs) what what player stood out to you as someone who was playing smash mouth football which is really Georgia's brand we have the offensive line Kirby Smart preaches physicality toughness and composure what player best embodied those three words to you this week this might be a a under the radar guy but i think wolf the guy that we picked up from tennessee Mm -hmm. um on a couple of the huge big play runs i think i think two of the uh, rushing touchdowns that we had um i I noticed that wolf had like a really really good blocking on Mm -hmm. that so i it's i think it's underrated but i think he can really contribute um, in a huge way down the stretch. Um, so I think that is a huge thing for us. Yeah. I think everyone involved in the run blocking, I know I, I noticed Cade Mays making some some really nice blocks down the field as well as Isaiah Wilson. But I, I got to give this one, my Smash Mouth All-Star of the Week was Zamir White. First off, in the stadium, it was absolutely incredible when he took the field. It sounded like everyone was booing, and and I think some of the players were confused by that, but it was loud, and everyone was going, Zeus! And he ran it for like one yard on his first carry and got up and got a standing ovation because we were all just so pumped that he was out there. And then he had some really, really nice runs. He had that one where he kind of shook a guy off his leg, and it was very Chubb-esque. But but Zamir White, five carries, I think he had 55 yards, a lot of physicality. It was obvious run situations when he was running the ball, and he ran the ball very well, very tough, kept those legs moving, and I think he embodied what Kirby Smart looks for, and I think his whole journey embodies what Kirby Smart looks for in the ideal football player. So hats off to Zamir White, my smash mouth all-star of the week. Now it is time for the... Savage Pads Player of the Week. This is kind of our overall MVP. Caleb, who was that to you this week? Um, I got to go with Aziz. I know I talked about him earlier, and he was my defensive player, uh, breakout player of the mm-hmm. year. So I'm going to stick with that. I think he is going to be forced to be reckoned with, like we've already talked about. He's the guy. Yeah. Yeah, I have Aziz as well. From the absolute get-go of the game, he just looked I mean, we talked about it last week. We talked about the fact that this guy's standing out in practice among such a talented group of outside linebackers. Nolan Smith, who looked phenomenal, by the way. Adam Anderson's really great. I mean, you've got Jermaine Johnson. Got a very, very good group. We always forget about Walter Grant as well. But Aziz Ojolari stood out among such a talented group from the get-go. He was getting to the quarterback. He was making some big-time hits on the running backs. He was just absolutely phenomenal. Again, reminds me of Justin Houston, and I really see a very bright future for Aziz if he stays healthy. That is my Savage Pads Player of the Week. And can I say real quick um, on top of that that 
I think a huge embodiment of what Kirby does as well is is that Aziz is not as high ranked as some of the guys that are next to him. And I think that just goes to show um, just the work that they put in, you know, in the spring and, the, you know, all the practice that they do, that you can really work to the top like a DeAndre Baker. You know, he was a three-star, um, and he's playing over some of these highly highly ranked guys. And so uh, that's really fun for me to see um, the underdogs, if you will, um, kind of come on top. Yeah. So that's a, I'm excited for him. Yeah, absolutely. And to piggyback off of that, Brenton Cox, same class as Aziz, five-star. Aziz had an ACL injury, so he was pretty much forgotten in that class. I mean, I, I will say I'm guilty of of sort of overlooking him with that class coming in last year. It's very high on Brenton Cox, very high on Adam Anderson, two very talented players. But there's a major difference in the approach that Aziz brings as opposed to a Brenton Cox. Although he was perceived as the more talented, more physically gifted player coming in, um, that's Brenton Cox. You see what what happens with with the players that set themselves apart and their work ethic and their attitude, and and the way they handle things off the field. And again, from everything I've heard, Aziz is one of those guys. I'll go ahead and say it, he's my guy. Um, last year, my guy was Eric Stokes, and uh, JJ Hallman was one of my guys. Just was always high on him before he saw the field. Aziz is, is one of those guys that I'm I'm very very bullish on. But we, we need to move into the pick six segment. Um, last week, Caleb, I beat you one to nothing in in the picks. But we got a big week. We got some big games coming up. First one I want to talk about is number six, LSU, at number nine, Texas. Two teams that looked like serious playoff contenders in week one. Caleb, who do you got? I have to have a lot of confidence in LSU coming into this one. I think this year LSU could – potentially be a team that could bring Alabama down honestly and I think this game right here will kind of show you really where they're at I think um, Joe Burrow the quarterback um, is really coming into his own and he gave us fits last year so I'm going to go with that Uh, obviously Texas is an amazing team as well but I'm going to go with LSU yeah I'm going with LSU as well they looked very very physical and John Emery looks like he's going to be a heck of a running back uh, I'm going with LSU, but I will say I think regardless of the outcome, I think Texas is a for real playoff contender, and I do think that they could lose this game and win out and make it and, and be kind of that forgotten team that slips in there right at the end. But they've got to beat Oklahoma. It's all about winning the conference for them and making it to the end of the season with one loss. This could be that one loss, and that is what I'm predicting. Next game, number 23, Stanford at USC. Um I looked at this one and I saw that Stanford's quarterback was questionable and I was like, oh, like that could give USC the edge. And then I saw that USC's quarterback's out for the season. Caleb, who do you have? <laughs> I'm going to go with the same reason behind that. Uh, I'm going to go to Stanford. Um, yeah. don't, I haven't done a lot of research on these two teams, um, but U, USC, I just don't have a lot of confidence. I feel like um, in a lot of ways they're a little undisciplined and obviously the, the huge loss of that quarterback. So Yeah. Um, next game. Oh, I got to say mine. Yeah, I'm going with Stanford also. Now, next game, Cal at number 14, Washington. I'll go ahead and say my pick, and it's two words, Jacob Eason, my guy. He was the original my guy, um, and I'm still kind of sad about how things played out, but I'm going with Washington. I also think they're playoff contenders. I think they could uh, they could run, run the table out there, and I think Washington will take care of business this weekend. Yeah, I agree. I'd 
I'm a fan of Easton as well. It's a little more sweet or, you know, enjoyable to watch him do well than it is for to watch Fields do well. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but nonetheless, yeah, um, Easton is the guy. And I think I agree. I think they're a playoff contender and, uh, they're definitely a team I'm going to be watching, you know, every weekend and week out just cause, um, I think Easton is a first round pick. So, okay. Um, yeah, I think he could go number one for real. Number 12, Texas A&M at number one, Clemson. This one is some people calling it upset alert. Um, I'm going with Clemson unless they have that one game they have every year against Syracuse typically. But it is at Clemson. I think that gives them the advantage, and they're one of the best teams in the country. I can't pick against them. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to go with Clemson, although um, – I think Texas A&M is a team to watch out for. We're going to have to keep our eyes on them a little later in the season. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Clemson, I think they just got have all the pieces. They're meshing a little bit better. They're mm-hmm. a more well-oiled machine, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but yep. Jim, Jimbo Fisher definitely has uh, something going over there at Texas A&M. Yeah, I think Texas A&M is, is a team to watch this year. Next game, 21 Syracuse at Maryland. Syracuse? was the heavy favorite and then Maryland won their opener 79 to nothing and so the line has changed dramatically I'm gonna go with Syracuse don't really keep up with either of these teams but I do know that Syracuse has has legitimately competed with Clemson the last two years and I could not say that about Maryland yeah I'm gonna have to do the same for the same reason that they're competitive with the top teams when they play them um and I think I think you'll see that yeah Next game, last game of the pick six, BYU at Tennessee. I believe Tennessee is favored by only three points in this game, which is amazing. Um, I am picking them. It's hard to imagine them losing twice in a row at home to a a lesser opponent, but I'm pulling against my pick. I'm pulling for BYU. Caleb, who are you picking in this one? Now, when I first uh, saw this uh, matchup, I thought, BYU definitely has a chance. Um, I'm going to go with Tennessee, but I watched BYU play last week, and I think their offense could do some damage to Tennessee just because I think Tennessee's got a little fire under them just because of the embarrassment. Um, They'll probably find a way to win this one. Okay, extra point, last part of our segment with Caleb. UGA versus Murray State. What is the score? Who wins? Uh, I'm going to go with the same score I had last week. Um, I think it was 52 to 10. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, so I'm going to go with that. Um, I was just a week late, but nonetheless, I'm right. So I'm going to hope that works out. You're just going to keep picking that score every week of the season until it's the correct score. (laughs) Exactly. That's (laughs) why I'm a professional analysis guy. Analyst, yes. Um, Analyst. Yes, that word. I'm going very similar to my pick last week, and it's not that different. Um, I'm going 42-7, to dogs. I wanted to pick a shutout, but it feels like there's always a a fluke touchdown in these games where everyone gets frustrated. 42-7, dogs. That's what I'm going with. Caleb, as always, really appreciate you coming on the show, picking some games with us, and going through the players of the week from last week. Thanks, Caleb. It's always a pleasure, man. 
And it is always a pleasure putting on the show for you all. We appreciate you listening and subscribing. We appreciate you following us on Twitter and Instagram at Savage Pads. And most of all, we appreciate those of you who share the show with other dog fans. To those of you traveling to Athens this weekend, travel safely and root on those dogs for us at Sanford Stadium. And until next time, go dogs.